And now it's time for Guaranteeing Your Retirement with your host, David Graham from Graham Capital, an estate planning and investment management firm right here in Florida. Here's your host, David Graham. Good morning. This is Dave Graham, the retirement guy, and you're listening to Guaranteeing Your Retirement. Oh boy, this is a podcast, if you can believe that. We're finally entering the 21st century, uh, now more than ever. We are trying to let our listeners know all around the United States what we're doing and how we're doing it. And hopefully I can give you some financial information on retirement that will make sense to you. Um, You know, we're entering a new age of broadcasting here. And, you know, over the last 40 years or so, I have clients, last time we looked, in 42 different states, 42 different states. And by doing a a podcast now, we'll be able to talk to everybody in one, one show, to say the least. And You know, if you're an existing client, we have your email address. We have thousands of emails that are going to be getting getting the show sent to them. So, again, call in, get me your email address, make sure we can get get the show to you, okay? And if you have a problem downloading, downloading uh, to get on to a a site, you know, an iHeart or an Apple or a Spotify or whatever, call in our office and one of our tech guys will show you how easy it is to, to download so you can get on and get a podcast, okay? Uh, but that be said, as always, before we get started, let's all offer a huge heartfelt thanks to our police, firefighters, emergency personnel, our teachers, and the men and women all around the world protecting us in the military services. Where would we be without them? Thank God we have them. And with that, as always, I don't know if you saw this one in the news. We always start off with a little levity. A Houston man walked into a fast food restaurant and he showed a handgun and he demanded $100 from the cash register. And he told the employee that this is my very first robbery. So the manager stepped in, apparently looking to take advantage of the thief's lack lack of experience. And he simply refused to open the register. And the would-be thief tried to negotiate for a while and eventually left empty-handed. Oh, boy, I'll tell you. Fun fact of the week. Internal Revenue Service, it has a plan for how they can collect taxes in case we had a nuclear war. Those people are serious. My gosh. Quote of the week. Money is not the most important thing in the world. Love is. Fortunately, I love money. That's George Carlin. (laughs) Oh, boy. In Italy, it's illegal to build a house that doesn't have a bathroom. Well, that makes some sense. And as always, let's start off with a couple of crimes of the week. Federal crimes. Always got to let you know where the federal government is. It's a federal crime to sell sprinklers without warning people not to touch the glowing wire or you're going to get burned. It's also a federal crime to play baseball without a permit in a national park. Boy, I bet you people people are going to get arrested for that one. Uh, As always, though, 
Let me give you some examples of what you need to do when it comes to your monies. You know, it's football season now. You know, we're in the heart of football season. So it's a good time for one of our, our discussions that we can use an example of between financial planning and the game of football. Okay, let's, let's use some examples here, some analogies. The red zone. In football, the red zone is the last 20 yards you need to make to get a touchdown. Well, mistakes are costly, and it could cost you the whole game if you don't make the right decisions. Well, in retirement planning, the red zone is the last 5 to 10 years before you retire. And guess what? Mistakes are costly. It's important that you make the right decisions. Then you have the hurry-up offense. In football, if you're behind in the fourth quarter, you're normally in a hurry-up offense to try to create as many chances as you can to catch up. In retirement planning, if you're behind, you might feel tempted to take more risk to close the gap. But that's almost always not the best solution. The victory formation. In football, when you have a win within your grasp, sometimes the only thing you need to do is to avoid fumbling the ball. So you stand up in the victory line and you take a knee and you run out the clock. And you don't care about gaining any more yards. You only care about holding on to the football. Retirement planning. Sometimes you need to stop worrying about getting more money and just be sure you don't lose what you have. You need to design a portfolio that puts you into a victory formation. Good coaches make a difference. In football, some teams never find success. They're constantly firing a coach every three or four years. But the successful teams find a good coach. They keep him around for a long time, and they win a lot of games. In retirement planning, some people try to be successful without having a coach at all. Others keep the same coach that they've had for years, even though things aren't really working out with them. And then others, they find the right coach, and it helps them achieve their dreams and their goals. So let me ask you, do you feel that you have the right coach right now? Have you lost a lot of money this year? You know, do you need help? Look, we can help you at Graham Capital Advisors. If you keep doing the same thing, you're going to get the same result. If your head is hurting, I have a suggestion. Stop hitting the wall with it. Graham Capital Advisors, Graham Capital Wealth Management, I'm very proud of the fact that our numbers speak for themselves. You know, we'll get you one of the best returns you can possibly get from financial management in the United States. We're very proud of our record. And it's the, we have the best of the best people helping us. Graduates, they all have graduate degrees, Johns Hopkins and what have you. We're based out of Washington, D.C. on K Street, about three blocks from the White House. You deserve the best. Let us help you. Let us help you. Go to our website. Go to our website and schedule an appointment to get a good second opinion of where you're at. You don't need to be taking unnecessary risk. And always remember, if you lose money, you got to remake it. And what is that? That takes time. What, as we get older, what are we running out of time? So you don't want to lose it. And we're going, this, this market is not, is still going down. The average, the average correction was like 36, 38%. We haven't had one since 2008. Well, we're down 25%. What does that mean? That means we probably have another 13, 14% to go if this thing continues the way it's going. No one knows. But what you got is what you got. And you want to make sure that you don't lose it. 
come and see us. Go to our website, schedule an appointment. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. That's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. And online, we have one of our senior certified advisors, Keith Bowling. Good morning. Good morning. And I have Katie working the board for us. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, gentlemen. Katie, we got some emails for Keith to answer. We sure do. Our first one came from Julie over in Wesley Chapel. She says, I'm planning to retire in about six months. First of all, congratulations. I've never had a household budget before, but do I need to start budgeting before I go on a fixed income? (laughs) Julie, you know, that's the number one thing you need to start doing is figure out how much you're spending on a monthly basis. Because like you said, you have a fixed income coming in and we don't want to go over it because, you know, there's going to be some months that Obviously, the summer months are going to be higher on the bills than the others, and you know we also have to consider inflation coming in. So, yes, by all means, um, start calculating your monthly budget, and uh, let's make sure it matches up with that fixed income. David? Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's the old, what they call the Benjamin Franklin close, where you put a big, big T on a yellow pad with a pencil, and all the pluses on one side, all the minuses on the other. And in this case, you put a list of everything that you're spending money on on a monthly basis. It could be your power bill. It could be a car payment. It could be your rent. It could be credit card payments. You put that on one side. And the other side, you put in, oh, this is my income, whatever it is. If you're older, you might have a pension. You might have a 401k plan. But you add the pluses and the minuses. And then that will give you a budget, a budget to start with. It, it, it always amazes me that people go through life and it's rather unpleasant to think about paying a credit card bill so you don't think about it except sweating about how you make a payment on it. <laughs> and the issue is, do you even need a credit card? Maybe you just need a debit card and you don't have to worry about that payment. But it's a matter of just making changes, making positive changes in your life financially to take the stress out of it. And if you come into our office, the first thing we're going to do is show you how to set up a budget if you don't have one. But come in and see us. Come in and see us. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. What else we got there, Katie? Also got an email from Tim over in Tampa. He says, are ETFs always better than mutual funds since the fees are lower? Yeah, Tim. And not only because of the fees, too, is because you can also get out of the ETF when you want to, you know, depending on how it, when it's sold. You don't have to wait for the market to actually close like a mutual fund would. So there's not only fee structures, but you getting in and out of it when you want to, not when the market closes. There's you know a few other advantages, but 99% out of the time, um, yeah, the ETF is the better way to go. No, no two ways, no two ways about it. Uh, I know I'm old enough to remember 1987 when they were just changing from ticker ticker tape to to computers, and we had the Black Friday, Black Monday, and, and in one day. The markets went down 25%. And I'll never forget that day because it never had happened before. And the reason why it was so traumatic was the fact that mutual funds were just created seven, eight years earlier, and everyone had mutual funds. They were the best thing since sliced bread. The only problem is you can't get out of it till the end of the day. We're not like stocks where you can buy and sell or ETFs where you can get out immediately. So as the markets start crashing, everyone's watching their money go down, down, down. People are calling in, all the phones are ringing, you know, make my money, make my money safe. And guess what? 
you had to wait to the end of the day. By the end of the day, it was down almost 25%. And that's one reason why you don't want to be on a roller coaster. You want to have liquidity as much as possible. Uh, an ETF will give that to you where you can buy a, a group or a sector of different companies. But unlike a mutual fund, you can get out of it immediately. So you always would prefer having having uh, ETFs. Years ago, there used to be a show called the Mutual Fund Store on the radio, and and all of a sudden people woke up and realized one day, hey, I'm paying a 5% front load, a 5% back load. I have no liquidity. And I think it's off the air now, but times have changed, and ETFs have really replaced mutual funds. You'll never see a fiduciary make, have you invest in a mutual fund. That's that's one way of finding out if you're getting true professional advice. But look at your look at your investments. If you have a mutual fund, don't walk, run. You should be an ETFs. Good question. Got another one from Mac in Largo. He says, My son just graduated from college and his grandmother, my mom, just gave him ten thousand dollars as a graduation gift and told him to use it to start investing. My son asked me what he should do with the money and I'm not entirely sure what should I tell him to do with it. <laughs> Well, Mac, what I would suggest is have him come over here. We'll open up a Fidelity account. Um, With his age being so young, we'll put it in a whole bunch of ETFs with the S&P related and um, let him sit and let it grow. Um, That's that's his best best, uh, advice. No, no, exactly. Um, If... Young people, naturally, they think of buying a car. They're thinking of vacations. They think of buying clothes. Uh, If they only could understand that they have something that most of us don't have as we get older, it's called time. Time is an incredible thing when it comes to investing. And if he could simply save that $10,000 and not, not spend it on things that he'd like to spend it on himself, by the time he's 30 years old, my gosh, he could have four times, five times what that 10000 is. But it's a matter of he has the seed money now to, quite frankly, to give himself an early retirement if he just didn't spend it and just kept investing it. But it's very, very hard to, to explain that to someone that's young. But you know, The rules of finance haven't changed, whether you're in retirement or just starting to invest. First rule of investing, don't lose money. Second rule of investing, don't forget the first rule for a very simple reason. If you lose it, you got to remake it, and that takes time. Good question. What Another else? email from Tammy in Bradenton. She says she has about $110,000 in her savings account, and someone told me that's way too much to have in cash. She says she likes the idea of knowing that she has it in there in event of an emergency or a medical issue. Is it really too much money to have in her savings? <laughs> Tammy... Everybody has a different limit, you know, on how much they need for savings. But you can always stick some of that money into a brokerage account like we were just telling Mac and um, putting it into liquid positions that, like I said, that are completely liquid. So that meaning whenever you needed the money, you would sell the position and then get your cash. There's no penalty for taking it out at a certain period or anything like that. It's completely liquid, but yet it's making more money than you would be if you were in the savings account. So that's the only thing I would um, consider is taking a portion of that funds, putting it into a brokerage account. Um, We can easily help you out with that. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt, Tammy. Look, we have clients come in that are, very, very, very wealthy people. And in going over their finances, I'll see five, 
$10,000 of liquid money in a money market in a checking account. And that's it. And I remember when I was a young man and I first got in the business, I asked one of my clients just that, uh, as a car dealer. So I said to him, I said, Sam, you know, you really don't have very much liquid money. And he looked at him and he said, well, you're here to make sure I'm making money. I want to be making money with that money. I just don't want it sitting in a checking account. Because he's always thinking of the positive side of it. But in your case, again, you could buy ultra-conservative investments, ultra-conservative, that will give you three or four times what the bank is, was paying you in a money market and still have it liquid so you can get it if you needed it. But, you know, again, the old cliche, you have to be a good steward of God's blessings. And if you have that money, well, make it grow for you. That's the purpose of it. And you still have it. You still can get it if you need it. But you get a much better rate of return. Come to our, go to our website and schedule an appointment. We'll show you exactly what you need to do with that money. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. Eric in Clearwater wants to know what aspects of his retirement plan he's most likely to screw up if he tries to do things without a financial advisor. <laughs> Eric, I, I don't think it's screwing up. I, I think it's just not having the knowledge, you know, because when you're with a financial advisor, they can show you so many other different investment vehicles to, to match your goal, um, you know, for retirement. And um, you go into a bank or somebody that just has their own investment vehicles that they're limited to sell you um, isn't, like David said, a true fiduciary, you know. So, I would say go, you know, when when you see a financial advisor, that's one of the, you know, the advantages. And it's not screwing up. It's just you not knowing that investment vehicles out there. Yeah, good, yeah good point. Look, you know, is he a fiduciary? We've got a guy right here in the Tampa area that does a radio show, but he has an insurance company paying for all his advertising. So when you go in to see him, what do you think he's going to show you? He's going to show you insurance products from that insurance company. That's not a fiduciary. A fiduciary is going to make sure that you know everything and anything you need to know, you know, about, about your retirement plans. And remember, it's a three-legged stool. You have legal, you have planning, and you have investing. And they all are interrelated. You know, when I tell people about legal documents, and they say, well, I'm not worried about dying. Well, guess what? The leading cause of bankruptcy for anyone over the age of 50 is health issues. That's why you need legal documents to preserve and protect your monies, you know, you want you know you want to make sure that you're not going to lose them. So if you come to a good advisor, retirement advisor that is a fiduciary, they will talk about the three-legged stool, about getting sure your legal documents in order. You're going to have a plan, a roadmap to follow. So if you get off the road, you know how to get back on the road. And the last but not least, you invest for retirement. And that's so simple. Again, you don't want to lose it, but then going to have to remake it. And as I always say, that takes time and you're running out of time when you're in retirement age. Let us help you with that. Okay, Katie, we have one more. We do. Our last email comes from Susan in Venice. She says she doesn't want to make an emotional decision, but she's really ready to walk away from her job. She says she just turned 62. So social, so social security is now an option. And she says that makes it even more tempting. Is it irresponsible to retire so young? And she says, yes, I still consider myself young. <laughs> I do too, Susan. And no, there's nothing wrong with retiring so young. <laughs> I, uh, if if you have the, the the assets to do it, go ahead. You know, it's uh, it, that's the part of retirement. It's it's the you know doing the things you want to do. Why not? As long as you have the assets to do it. 
Um, and if, if all else fails and you get bored, you can always have an encore career or do something part-time just to fulfill your needs or, you know, volunteer at an SPCA, whatever, whatever you would want to do. But you could always go and find some type of volunteer or part-time work if you always felt like you needed to. David? No, that, that, is, that is exactly the case. Look, you control your own destiny. And, you know, people that say would say, well, I'd be bored if, I'm re- if I retired uh, on one hand. On the other hand, am I going to have enough money? Well, with Social Security, every year you push it back from, uh, from 60, uh, 62 to, to retirement age. Your full retirement age is probably about 67. You know, it grows 6% a year. And then after that, to 70, 71 or whatever, when you take it, it's going to grow another 8% a year. So you take it if you need it. But as far as being bored when you're retired, you know, these are people that, that they, they don't really have a, a, a burning passion for their career, but they still find that their j- job is a better alternative than not having, having you know, any, any of the other responsibilities. So for many people, for these people, simply getting a different job could be a nice way to ease into retirement. So maybe they retire from their career and get a simple, less stressful job that might not pay as much, but it gives them a better quality of life while also preventing them from having to go cold turkey and getting out of the work workforce. And in our company, we will help you make that transition. Uh, it's simply a matter of learning learning how to live on a, on a smaller salary, but maximize your investments. So you have the peace of mind of knowing that you're getting the biggest bang for your buck. And uh, you get one shot at it, and you don't want to mess it up. So let us help you. Go to our website, schedule an appointment, it's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. That's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. Coming up in our next segment, we're going to have Stosh Graham, the Chief Investment Officer, Managing Director of Graham Capital Wealth Management, Washington, D.C., and he will give us his market update of what's going on in the world. So stay tuned. You're listening to Guaranteeing Your Retirement with your host, David Graham from Graham Capital. This is Dave Graham, and you're listening to Guaranteeing Your Retirement. And this is a podcast, and it's going all around the country now. So all of our clients all around the country can hear us at the same time. Uh, that be said, on this segment of the show, we have Stosh Graham. He's our Chief Investment Officer, Managing Director of Graham Capital Wealth Management on K Street in Washington, D.C. That's GrahamCapitalWealth.com. Good morning to you. Good morning, David. Well, Stash, so much is going on now. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't even know where to begin. The, the forecast for recession in the, in the next 12 months is now 100%, according to Bloomberg. So what should the average investor do now with their money besides lose it, well, not I- lose it? Well, so I would say this, and this is the important part. So to to your point, um, on uh, Monday, Bloomberg 
uh, economics. They have an economics team, uh, and I, I think pound for pound, uh, one of one of the best in the world. Uh, it's funny when you are an entity that doesn't provide banking services or investment services, how it tends to be where your calls uh, tend to be more accurate than calls made by major economists involved with big banks who provide financial services. The conflicts of interest just simply aren't there. Exactly. But Bloomberg's, ec- Bloomberg's economics team, in particular, their recession probability model uh, – uh, Earlier this week on Monday uh, announced that they had 100%. Their model is implying 100% probability of a recession starting in the next 12 months. Uh, They updated every month. Last month it was 65%. Uh, What happened between now and then? uh, They pointed to the conference board's survey of consumer sentiment uh, where there is greater pessimism on the future. Uh, the conference board survey, we've we've talked about this on the show over the last few years. We've written about the clients. Uh, conference board sentiment and consumer survey is important, especially the forward-looking indicator, because it tends to be, over the last 30 to 40 years, as sentiment uh, uh, is spending in the near-term future matches what the forward-looking future looks like, again, for consumer sentiment. So – Long-winded way of saying if consumers are pessimistic on the future, they're going to spend less. They're going to save more. Uh, And again, remember, we're an economy built on consumption. We don't want people saving and getting ready for a rainy day. And I know that sounds highly irresponsible, but that's really the crux of our economy that's built on consumption. Uh, Separate from consumer sentiment surveys, housing permits. Uh, Housing permits fell sharply uh, in the month of August. Why are housing permits important? So in the housing market, you have permits and then you have housing starts. They are different. Housing starts are when you're actually breaking ground, trying to put trusses up, put the foundation in. Housing permits is just putting the application in to be able to start the process. Housing permits tends to be a very strong leading indicator, uh, much more so than housing starts. Uh, in terms of the U.S. economy. Right. So a sharp decline in the month of August. Uh, and again, I think that makes sense. You have home builders looking at what happened to mortgage rates. You have basically near 7% now. You're going to see home sales fall. So you're going to have home builders pull back, which means less construction jobs. So it is a self, self-fulfilling prophecy in that, in that regard or self-fulfilling cycle. So between the Conference Board Sentiment Survey and housing permits, two of the 13 metrics that Bloomberg's model uses was able to push it over the top to 100 percent probability of a recession in 12 months. And and there it is. I mean, there it is. You know, we've been talking about it for a long time and some people say too long, but it's coming right at us. And this is what happens when 21 years ago you have a trillion dollar deficit. 21 years later, 22 years later, you have a 31 trillion dollar deficit. This is what happens. Stash, the S&P 500 is down 25% from its peak in a little more than nine months. You know, historically, the average top-to-bottom drop is about 38% over 15 to 16 months. So you see what's happening now. I mean, what would? how do you read that? So my read is, and, and keep in mind, too, investor sentiment by and large is negative. So I think again when you're when you're looking back and, and you're and you are t- 
taking in the greater picture, you do have a, a large uh, a sentiment that is uh, negative on markets. So you see a market falling, you have very negative sentiment. You would tend to say, hey, you know what? That seems like a very, very uh, intriguing situation that I want to invest in. And you have several very prominent independent research firms come out and say, hey, look, you know what? Guys, sentiment is so bad and so negative that it might actually warrant you investing because it's highly likely you're going to make money over the next year. The only problem is right now, I think markets still need to take another leg lower. One, because I think a lot of people believe the Federal Reserve is going to pivot and now start to uh, uh, or stop interest rate hikes in the very near-term future, and I think that's wrong. And again, you've had this, this, this mindset on more than one occasion this year only for it to get smashed when the Federal Reserve says, nope, we're going to raise rates and we're going to raise, again, multi-rate hike in a couple months after. Again, you've had people try to call the Federal Reserve's bluff, and it looks like we're starting to see that now again. Uh, and again, I just I don't see that. Separate corporate earnings are still elevated. And this is probably the part where I get most worried is we haven't seen corporate earnings get revised lower. We just haven't seen it yet. We're still factoring in estimates are still factoring in growth into next year for 2023. And simply speaking, as we just – the tie-in earlier point about Bloomberg economics and the recession model, I don't see earnings growing next year, especially with the chances of a recession being very, very high. Well, you know, so it, time, time will tell, to say the least. Uh, you know, but there's so much out there now, and people are concerned. You know, people are concerned of where we're going with all this and how it's spreading. You know, like, for example, in Mexico – uh, you know, Mexico is falling into recession. They're copying our economy almost completely. Then in Canada, they're having the worst drop in business since COVID hit. And, you know, it's the old when you when you're, you can run, but you can't hide. You know, what is the first thing someone should think about now when it, when it comes to protecting their assets, protecting their money? What should they worry about? Well, Preservation of capital, I think, again, when you have all the variables we're talking about, and we haven't even talked about money growth, which I, we could spend a whole show on. Sure. Uh, excess money growth right now is negative. That is very bad for financial asset prices. And you might be asking what excess money growth is. Well, uh, growth, I think, speaks for itself. Excess money is money that is in addition to what the actual economy needs. And I think the logically this makes sense. If the economy is growing, it needs a certain amount of money. And then you get to a point where, hey, you know what? Maybe the, the government throws in an extra you know, $5 billion just you know, because they want to do some type of fiscal money or whatnot. So the economy doesn't need that extra $5 billion. Where does that go? It goes into the stock market. And we saw this as a very good example a year ago, two years ago, when the separation between Main Street and Wall Street was probably the most pronounced we've ever seen in history. You had the stock market running higher and higher at a time when more and more people were getting laid off, and you had an historically high unemployment rate that last rivaled the Great Depression. Again, I think that is a great example, and I think when you talk about excess money, there is a recent example that people can – that they've just seen in the last 24 months. But that excess money has reversed itself, and that is a headwind now for financial asset prices. So 
you're in this environment where you have a recession being very possible uh, or, or likely at this point, uh, where you have excess money negative, which hurts financial markets, it hurts businesses uh, and their ability to get access to cheap money, uh, whether for investment or to return capital to shareholders. Preservation of capital, I think, comes to the forefront. How do you preserve capital in this environment? Uh, I'll tell you what. We have bought more one to two-year U.S. Treasuries uh, in the last month, short-dated U.S. Treasuries, uh, more in this last month than we ever have in the history of the firm. And right now, we're able to make about 4.5% annually. Uh, you haven't seen that. You haven't seen that in a decade plus. And again, we're not we're not putting 20% of someone's account in that. Uh, we're not even close. It's low single digits. But to be able to say, hey, you know what? I have the safest investment in the world, and I can make over 4% per year in a short time period where I can get my money back and then hopefully invest in the market 20 to 30% lower. You know what? I think I can allocate a couple percentage points into that asset class. Separately, short-dated U.S. Treasuries, or excuse me, short-dated uh, investment-grade corporate bonds. I think you're seeing a ton of corporate bonds right now uh, that are, say, within two to three years. We're looking at a lot of 18 months and in now. Uh, we're able to generate 5%. Uh, again, high-quality companies, you're able to generate 5% annually per year for the life of the investment. Again, I think the risk-reward is is highly attractive. And then finally, the SPAC arbitrage strategy. We've, I know we've spent a lot of time talking about it over the last year and a half. That has certainly been the safe haven and the primary reason for our outsized material performance this year against equity and fixed income indices. I think the combination of an extremely short duration is very, very helpful for the SPAC arbitrage strategy. And again, in a time when year to date, your average investment grade corporate bond fund say like the LQD, which is the largest ETF uh, exchange-traded fund in the world that holds investment-grade corporate bonds, is down 17% this year, year to date. Uh, That's not what you expect out of a conservative investment like the LQD. Um, And again, I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of these 60-40 portfolios are down well into the double digits, probably 20%. Uh, by both metrics. So it is something we are keeping a very close eye on. And I think you have to be very active during these times. Right, no, with, no, without a doubt. Uh, if you're a new-time listener, you're listening to Stosh Graham. He's the Chief Investment Officer, Managing Director of Graham Capital Wealth Management in Washington, D.C. You deserve the best. Graham Capital Wealth Management is one of the highest-rated fiduciary services in the country. You deserve the best. Go to our website and schedule an appointment. Meet Stosh personally. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. Stosh, right now, the paradox to all of this, this recession business, is that the earnings in companies has so far delivered even better expected results, especially from some of the big names. So is it possible that the S&P 500 index, has it, has it actually bottomed now, you think? No, I, I don't. Um, is the worst been done? Probably. But again, I think fundamentally, and we just we just talked about this a couple minutes ago, I think there are several headwinds that are still persistent that uh, should produce another leg lower. I mean, think about this. We have not seen really any wave of bankruptcies. We have not seen businesses break apart merger and acquisition agreements uh, yet. 
typically during the real panic, when we get to a bottom, you see that happen. You see merger and acquisition deals get broken up. Uh, you see companies go and solve it and go into ba- bankruptcy restructuring. Again, we haven't seen that yet. We haven't seen economic recession declared yet. Right. Uh, again, so those typically are signs of a market bottom, uh, and we haven't seen that. Right. Well, time will tell. You know, gold has always been a safe haven investment. You know, year to date, I think gold is down around 6%. So do you see it rebounding in the new coming year, 2023? The way you're going to get a rebound in gold is if you believe you're going to get the Federal Reserve to start pivoting its monetary policy. That is going to be when you get to a bottom and a sustained leg higher in gold. Unfortunately, I don't think you're seeing that yet. And it's not even necessarily interest rate hikes because that's one part of monetary policy. It's quantitative tightening, too, that I don't think it's the same recognition or the same discussion, yet it is a very important part of the Federal Reserve's plans uh, uh, to fight inflation. Uh, And again, it's just a very important part in terms of monetary policy. You have not seen quantitative tightening really take shape yet. And again, I think people forget how powerful the mechanism is of the Federal Reserve going in and buying assets and then subsequently letting assets roll off and or selling. Uh, They're not even really selling yet. They're just letting the assets mature and roll off and they don't reinvest. So again, I think that is also a aspect that people are discounting and I think they're discounting it too much. Now, how does that impact financial asset prices? What that does is that puts a floor on interest rates it's going to keep interest rates a little bit higher than I think a lot of people expect uh, the floor to be, which again makes it tough for financial asset prices or anything that's a long-duration financial asset, like stocks. Sure. You know, a client asked me recently, is now the time to buy I-bonds because do it before the the rates reset? So what do you think about I-bonds? Yeah, that's a common. That's a. That's not a world that we've necessarily participated. Uh, certainly, in the short run, if someone has invested in the last year, uh, it has produced a nice investment. I think there are a couple misunderstandings in regards to I bonds. I bonds are not a one to two year investment. Uh, it is a ten year investment, minimum five. And if you try to get out of the I bonds early, you have to forgive a year's worth of interest. Well, again, how is inflation calculated? It's calculated year over year. A year ago, or a year from now, October of 2023, inflation is going to be materially lower than where they are. And again, I-bonds are calculated off the growth of inflation. So yes, for 12 to 18 months, it might be a good place to be. But a year from now, you're not going to see near the returns you're getting right now. And if anything, you're probably going to see less than half and likely it's going to be less than half of what you're getting right now. Uh, And again, you still have to be locked up into it for multiple years before you have to start giving back interest. I think there are many ways to be able to generate interest with shorter term timeframes. That's a good point. You know, we talked about this earlier, but you know, there are problems now in the U S housing market, interest rates are surging and affordability now is plummeting in a, should someone even consider consider even buying real estate now? I would say wait. 
I would say wait. I think you're going to get a great opportunity next summer and possibly the summer of 2024. I think fundamentally it depends on the type of market you're looking to buy into. So if you're in the Sun Belt, you've seen the biggest appreciation the last couple of years. Realistically, you're probably going to take a breather more so than a lot of other people. I do think there is a floor in certain parts uh, or an elevated floor to prices uh, in in uh, uh, parts of the real estate market. For example, the entry level, the first time home buyer, I think you're going to see a higher floor there for prices um, compared to someone to say that's in the move up category, which is usually someone's second home. The family's now grown to two to three kids. You need that four or five bedroom house instead of that two to three bedroom house. The four to five bedroom house move up area or the part of the real estate market. I think that's going to be the very interesting value uh, uh, play uh, over the next couple of years, because if you've locked in a 30-year mortgage and you've locked it in, uh, say at three, three and a quarter percent, you're going to be very hard pressed to give up that property to go buy another property at say six percent. The financing just is tough, uh, and so I think again from an entry level perspective. You could go ahead and buy, but I think prices are going to remain elevated. There's so much competition in that part of the real estate world. It's going to be the move-up or the trade-up uh, real estate market uh, that I think you're going to see a degree of softness. Right. Time will tell. You know, the Bitcoin now is down, I think, year-to-date 58%. Is now the time to buy cryptocurrencies if that's something you want to do? Would you recommend it? It depends on someone's risk tolerances. I think my message has been pretty direct over the last few years. The answer is no. I mean, I'm not a believer. I'm a cryptic skeptic. Uh, I think it's uh, – I'm, I'm disappointed it's taken authorities uh, – it, it, it's taken authorities this long to get involved in something that, again, I think if you just look at the chain of events over the last 12 to 13 years as, as crypto or digital currencies have – uh, come into prominence, how it has changed, the, the purpose of crypto or digital currency has changed. At first, it was a currency. Right. Well, we know it's not a currency because you can't buy things with it, and certain countries have just completely banned it. Uh, we know it's not store of value because if you unplug what it's tied to, it's not store of value. You just can't leave it under your bed. Um, and so I think, again, uh, it is that dynamic that kind of really exposes itself to as to what it is, which is really just a confidence game. It's a game of musical chairs. Uh, and I don't think someone who's in retirement or approaching retirement wants to run the chance that, you know, you could get wiped out uh, in a very short period of time. It's just not worth it for those people. Right. So well said. Anytime. Think about it for a second. It's the national currency of North Korea, the national currency of El Salvador. <laughs> I mean, come on. Seriously, I mean, when are people going to realize that, you know, it could be very much a con game, to say the least? Okay, one last question. Would you recommend to people to stay pat with their investments and kind of continue to ride this Wall Street roller coaster, especially if they've lost a lot? Or is there still time to protect their money somehow? So it depends. It depends on – it depends on – 
what someone's risk tolerance is and what their time horizon is. If they're a young investor and they're already down 25% and they're in a basket of positions that are probably defensive, then it's like, okay, hey, you know what? You could probably sit through this one. Um, but again, the, the, I think the the variables that one has to weigh in that situation is, is they've already moved to a more defensive batch of companies that they've owned, either cheap companies, companies with good balance sheets, companies with good free cash flow, and probably most importantly, pricing power as we enter a suspected recession. Um, but if you're someone who has a lot of technology companies that are unprofitable, you want you probably need to make changes, especially if you're approaching retirement or in retirement. Uh, you, if you're down, say, like the average portfolio in, in the country, down 20 to 25% this year, um, and you still own that basket of unprofitable tech companies, look, we know what the NASDAQ does. We know what unprofitable technologies do through a economic recession. Those market corrections associated with economic recessions are 50 to 60% drawdowns for those types of companies. So if you're only down 20 to 25%, realistically, if that economic recession does happen, your basket of unprofitable tech companies probably has another 25 to 35% to go. Um, and again, if they're unprofitable tech companies, then solvency risk becomes, uh, becomes a concern. So again, I think it depends on someone's uh, a goal. It depends how their portfolio is already invested or invested now as we enter this, this rough economic period. Uh, and certainly, again, I think people have to be active. You cannot be passive during these types of time periods. You have to be active in, in following what you owe so you can limit the downside risks for markets. No, well said, Stash. Stash, as always, we appreciate your sound, sage advice, and hopefully we'll get you on the next podcast. You take care, buddy. All right. Take care, David. Uh, if, you're, if you're a new listener, you're listening to Stash Graham. He's the Chief Investment Officer, Managing Director of Graham Capital Wealth Management. That's GrahamCapitalWealth.com, based in, in Washington, D.C. Look, you have free will. You control your own destiny. You know, you can only control what you can control, and one thing you can control is not losing your money. Graham Capital Wealth Management, uh, I consider it one of the best fiduciary investment management companies in the country. You deserve the best. Let us help you. You can talk to Stosh directly on managing your portfolio. Go to our website, schedule an appointment. It's GrahamCapitalAdvisors.com. That's Graham Capital advisors.com you know in closing if you really want to be lucky in life go help someone and god's gonna smile on you you're gonna to get to be incredibly lucky we're lucky to be americans it's right on our currency in god we trust good luck god bless take care of each other stay safe see you next week this program is sponsored by Graham Capital Advisors, LLC. Graham Capital Advisors, LLC is an independent estate planning and insurance agency. Investment advisory services are provided by Graham Capital Wealth Management, LLC, an independent registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Graham Capital Wealth Management and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. The inf information provided is for educational and informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice and should not be relied on as such. Individuals should consult with a qualified professional for guidance before making any purchasing decisions.